Welcome to the TOD podcast. Or as we like to say, the Todd Pod. We chat about all things deaf education while you drive around. I'm Kimmy from the Hard of Hearing Teacher. And I'm Deanna from Listening Fun. And let's get started. We are so excited to have a guest on the Todd Pod today. Here to talk about how to support deaf and hard of hearing kids in a pursuit of music is Adam Kita, who can share from his firsthand experience of being one of these students to now being a deaf teacher of music in a public school. Adam, that was a very brief introduction, so please tell us a little bit more about yourself before we get started. I am very excited to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Um, and as you said, it being deaf, it has it has its own little stigma to it and what we can and can't do. And I've been told throughout my life what I could and couldn't do in regards to music. And I'm happy to share my stories and some strategies with y'all today that we can pass on to not just other teachers of the deaf, but also other music educators who may not know how to reach these students in our classrooms. And I, once again, I cannot thank y'all enough for the invitation. Of course. Thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to hear more about your story. Could you get started and tell us kind of where you are today as a deaf music teacher for those who might not know you? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, I just finished my 12th year of teaching middle school band and orchestra in San Antonio, Texas. I want to make sure I clarify right off the bat, I am not a teacher of the deaf. I just happen to be a music educator who is deaf. Again, just sharing my personal stories and strategies I've learned along the way to help others. I have my love for music uh, pretty much my whole life. I've been surrounded by musicians. And when we had the opportunity to try out for band in fifth grade, uh, my twin brother and I both landed on the same instrument. And so that was a really fun process right away when our parents are like, oh, geez, two of them are the same instrument. But it did, it did pay off along the way because he was one of my biggest helpers in the classroom. And as we know, any any student, any deaf student that can help helpers along the way, it really does uh, benefit them and the teacher. So your brother was your helper. So are you saying that he is not deaf then? No, he is not. There are a couple of things that we think caused my hearing loss. We were born two months premature. That could be one. But also we, uh, I had tubes put in my ear uh, several times when I was young. And so that could be uh, something that led to the hearing loss. But now he is hearing. Yeah, what we call a hearing person. Could you tell me what instrument you picked? Yes, the euphonium. euphonium. Also known what is that? The baritone or the baby tuba. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a baby tuba. Oh, that's so fun. How did you pick yeah. that? Just like randomly? When they demonstrated these are the instruments. And then they gave us a little index card and said, write your top three. And they had these table stations set up to where I went to this director and he tried me on these mouthpieces. And then he went to this other. So there were about five teachers in the room. They split all the sixth graders up who were going to do it. And just based on what sounded good at that time on the mouthpiece and what you liked, you selected. And some instruments are better than others based on either your mouth structure or just any other kind of physical needs or what whatnot that we're going to help set you on a path for success to learn how to play a musical instrument. That's so cool. I played the clarinet for one year in fourth grade. There was no consideration as to what instrument it should be. I think I just randomly picked it because I thought it was cool. So <laughs> it's nice to know that there was a little more consideration there. But the baby tuba, that's very that's like a fun instrument. 
It is. And and you're going to hear me talk about this later, how the fact that I picked a, picked a lower pitch instrument did benefit me in the long run because I could not hear any of the higher pitches based on my hearing loss. And so that really did uh, help me be a little bit more successful in that uh, band instrument setting. And so the way it works here in Texas is that we select the instrument in sixth grade or leading up to sixth grade. We spend all of our first year in what we call beginning band where you learn the basics and fundamentals of the instrument. You maybe have one to two concerts the entire year. And then once you move on to the seventh grade, eighth grade year, which is more, the more advanced groups, you put in the ensemble setting with all the other instruments. And then you have more concerts. And then you transition up, up to high school, which is more performing opportunities, the high school marching band experience with the football games. And so that is a huge thing for us here in my state. And then just transitioning up to college, where I continued playing my instrument along with uh, learning the courses I needed to learn for music education and general education courses. And then from there up into the job force. I want to make sure I don't forget to leave this out that most of my college paying for it could not have been done without the help of the Texas Health and Human Services, which they have a deaf tuition waiver. And I don't know if y'all have heard about that, but I want to make sure I share that because if we have people in Texas listening to this, whether they're about to go into college or they have children about to go into college, that that's something I cannot stress enough. See if you qualify for it based on your hearing loss. And I have my entire undergraduate tuition paid for my graduate degree all paid for and I just had to pay for a couple of books here and there. And so, and, you know, being deaf and hard of hearing, the cost of hearing aids is not going down. And so you can, and the help, I mean, again, twins having two of us in college at the same time, my parents were like a lot less stressed out knowing they only had to pay toward one, but I didn't have everything, but I had like tuition coverage and that was just great. Yeah. That's an amazing resource. Thank you for sharing. Of course. And, and the last thing I'm going to say on this on what's led me to become a band director is, you know, we all had these moments where maybe it was a one person who said, no, you couldn't do this. And that stuck with you forever. Like this was my, this is my story on that is when I was in 10th grade, we have something that's called region band and uh, in other states, they maybe have a county band or a regional band, all state band. Well, the way we do the region band here is you audition to earn a spot in the group and then a couple months later, you have a clinic and concert, which is they invite a clinician to come out, who's also the conductor, and you basically work 12 hours on this music and you play four or five pieces. And then, like, it's really amazing. It's a very amazing experience. And I'm really pleased with how our state has it set up because it's so wonderful to play alongside others who have worked just as hard as you. And so my Trim brother and I were both in the same band at that year, sophomore year. And we did the concert and all that. And so we're in the band hall gathering, I think, getting ready to go. And my mother meets the conductor in the hallway. Like, hey, I want to thank you so much for what you did here. The concert was amazing. Um, both of my trim boys are in your band. And one of them wants to pursue a degree in music education. However, he does have a hearing loss and wears hearing aids. Is there any sort of advice you have for him? And right off the bat, he said he should not go into music education because of his hearing loss. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm like, I cried on the whole ride home. And in my head later down the road, I'm like, aren't you supposed to be like advocating for all and, you know, like your university that you work with? And and so like, 
just that moment is just the thing that always sticks in the back of my head whenever someone told me no or someone told another deaf student no. Like, no, you can do it and I'm going to help you with it. And so that's that's one of the biggest stories that has stuck with me for a very long time and really helped me push myself to be a better teacher. Yeah, I'm very much the same way. Like when it comes to advocating for myself or other people, if you tell me no, that means yes. That means I'm going to work <laughs> 10 times harder to make it a yes. So I love that you shared that story. And thank you for sharing your whole story and how you got here. It's really inspirational. I think it's awesome. And I'm so excited to hear more about your story and your strategies. Before we continue moving on, our next question is, did you work with a teacher of deaf as a child? And if so, do you have any thoughts on what they did that you found helpful or not helpful? And that can be related to music first, if you wanted to talk about that. Um, I actually did not have a work with the teacher of the deaf as a child. I was mainstreamed um, all through my childhood schooling. I just got pulled out for uh, speech therapy. That was really it. I did not work with a teacher of the deaf. And looking back on it, I even asked my mom, like, mom, was this an option? Or like, <laughs> did my school district not have very many people with it? Again, I don't know. Again, it was just, just pull out for speech. That's really all I had. Gotcha. Did you, do you know if you had any accommodations? Like, did you have a, a microphone or anything? No, uh, I did not have FM systems or any of that stuff. My biggest thing was just advocating that I needed to sit near the teacher. So it was either the front of the room or in the center of the room so that if they had the overhead projector that they had to wheel out <laughs> and I sat and I was sitting next to it. And so I got to hear the teacher right next to me and see the projected screen. So that was really, I didn't have any electronic need at that time. Gotcha. Well, well it if- sounds like you were a good advocate for yourself at least. <laughs> yes. Yes. I really had to do that because other than, other than band, my twin brother and I were really not in a lot of our classes together, so I had to do it myself. What about professionally as a music teacher? Have you worked with any TODs? Um, like you've had students in your class who have had TODs? Uh, no, I not in my music classes yet. Over my past 12 years, there's been maybe less than a handful of students on my campus in general. But usually that teacher of the deaf will come out to me and like, hi, I want to make sure you meet so-and-so. Even though they're not in your classes, I want them to know that you could be a reference or a resource or a guide for them should they need anything. Maybe they need a vent and there's no one else to go to, or maybe their hearing aid batteries ran dead. And I'm like, oh yeah, I kept them on my desk all the time. <laughs> and so <laughs> I wanted to make sure that, I mean, even if they weren't in my program, that I was still a resource for them. Now, I do have a couple of band directors that teach in the regional day school program for the deaf cluster in my district. And one of them reached out to me uh, last fall. Hey, uh, Adam, I have a beginner trombone player with a cochlear implant. I'd love for you to come out and tell me what I can do to help to help her along the way. And that was great. That was a very fun experience. And then at another school, Adam, uh, one of my students just came from the Sunshine Cottage School for Deaf Children. And can you come out and tell me if there's anything I'm missing or maybe something that, that you can share with them to help them along the way? And so I, I do make a make an effort to be in touch with them every once in a while, and especially with the parents. Like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> um is there anything I can share with you? Anything that I can share with your child to help them? And so even though they're not on my campus, I, I really try to go out to them as much as possible because I want them to really advocate for themselves. If the, the child advocate for themselves, 
but also the teacher to learn these other ways, not just to help that child, but also to help others around them. Gotcha. So you have been involved in these conversations, it seems like. So in those conversations, what access considerations have you talked about? Like what can music teachers do for DHH students so that they can fully participate in their music classes? And does this look different if they're in elementary school, middle school, high school? What do some of those considerations look like? Yes, I would say they are going to differ based on the grade level. Elementary music is either singing or you're dancing or you're playing on smaller musical instruments. I would say also including wherever there's a speaker, if there's a speaker from the from the teacher wearing a microphone, like if a teacher's wearing a light speed microphone, we have one in our band hall and I can move it to wherever I want, which is great because the other general ed classes have them planted right in the ceiling in the middle of the classroom. Mine I can put wherever I want it and and I and I love that device. And I use it not just so my students can hear, hear me, but also they, it helps me speak in a calm voice throughout the class and I don't have to strain my voice speaking all day across the room. I would say uh, also if you're playing an electronic instrument such as a keyboard or a piano, where there's a speaker for that, if the student can be near it, where they can feel the vibrations of it, that would be very helpful. Whenever you're doing any type of instrument, uh, whether it's a recorder or drums, uh, allowing the student to feel the instrument as much as possible, making sure their hands are in the correct places so they can really maximize the kinesthetic experiences of it. That would be very helpful uh, in regards to accommodating those students. If you're gonna play movies or videos, have closed cap or rhythm lessons, have closed captioning or subtitles on very helpful. When we did music theory lessons in my classes at the middle school, I liked to have whenever there was a metronome for a tempo, there was always a foot visual that was tapping. And I I loved it because not only did that help me, that helped the students not only see what it is, but it also it's a visual, physical visual that they're going to enforce themselves while they're playing the instrument. And so it's a win-win for all. When they're learning how to play musical instruments at the middle school level, there are going to be some challenges in regards to learning how to articulate on the instrument, meaning how they separate the notes from each other because it involves uh, what's going on inside the mouth, which we can't really see unless you hooked up to an MRI machine. <laughs> and so um, I can share some more strategies on this later in my other questions, but reaching out to the speech therapist on the campus, and I'm very blessed that the speech therapist that comes on my campus half the week she was in band and she's married to a band director. And so she totally gets it when I, she has to pull out a couple of my kids. And I asked them, hey, how's so-and-so doing on this syllable on them? Oh, what are they struggling with? Uh, we can hit two in the band room. That's a win-win for both of us. And those are the kind of things that I would think about. Like I said, the visual of the foot tap, the a visual of where the tongue placement, anything visual. There's a device also for vibrating metronome Soundbrenner, and I'm a teacher affiliate for them. And it's a watch kind of thing that you can wear and you can feel the pulse of the metronome on it. And again, tools like that that can accommodate that kid on a one-on-one basis is extremely helpful. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I like all those like visual and that like visual kinesthetic like you were talking about. It's like movement with the foot and a visual that goes with it. So it's like all-encompassing all in one. I like that. That sounds really cool. That is really cool. So one question I feel like teachers ask me all the time, like music teachers especially, is like, 
does the volume ever get too loud? Like if I'm wearing a microphone or they're wearing hearing aids, like is it going to hurt them if the music is too loud? Like I think that's probably the number one question I get from music teachers. So do you have any advice for them on that? Well, uh, it can get loud at certain moments, especially when they when the students learn how to play in the louder dynamic ranges. And if a student is placed right near them, like if I have a clarinet player placed right in front of the trumpet section and the trumpet bells are just aimed right at their head, that can be damaging if it's not something we're looking out for and considering like, oh, we want to play louder as a band. But you need to think about those things and maybe that deaf student needs to uh, turn them off for a lesson because you're working on dynamics or um, we'll wear earplugs because they're sitting near the back, near the percussion section, or a percussionist in general. Maybe they need to take out their, if they're having hearing aids and put earplugs in just in case. And I do that with my drumline students. Like, it's going to be loud. Now, you're going to protect your hearing, and here's some earplugs, foam earplugs that you're going to wear. Um, I would just say as a teacher, just be on the lookout for, like, the student's reactions. Is the student flinching or active? They're turning around or they're covering their ear. And if that's something that can be... Then again, I haven't won an FM system or seen the advances in the technology of it. But if there's a way to adjust the volume on that end um, from, that can help the student as well, or the boot that the student ran, take off the boot on one ear, one hearing aid, and leave the other one on on the other. Again, that's just something that they have to experiment with. But as a teacher, you just want to make sure that you're monitoring that and 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 especially if you're in a small room that doesn't have sufficient soundproofing in it. And that's something that I would recommend that all band directors or even orchestra directors check in their rooms before they go back to school this next year. That's something that if, if you need these materials, press the importance of it to the principal so the principal can push it in the direction that it needs <clears throat> so that the student's health and the hearing safety is not damaged. That's what <clears throat> that's what we don't want. And decibel meters, um, they have these on iPhones. They have them on smartwatches. I would recommend that they use any kind of decimal decibel meter readers that can that they can tell over time. Heck, I mean my my Apple Watch goes off and I'm in a small room and my corgi starts barking. It tells me I've reached 90, <laughs> 90 decibels. And so if it works for that, it can work for a classroom. And those are the those are the kind of tools I'd recommend looking out for. It can get loud. That's just the nature of the beast. But if it's if the students are using the right hand protection and the direct and the teachers are monitoring it effectively, then I think it's a win-win for all as long as it doesn't damage it. So you're saying though that even though the students are hard of hearing, we're still looking out for their hearing safety and their hearing health and monitoring how they're being affected by if they're in those louder parts of the band. Yes. And when I presented in Colorado, I had a college student come up to me who was a junior and she said um, uh, that she just got told she has to wear hearing aids and she has to go to an audiologist. Like, what do I do? I'm like, well, you need to take some samples of what your environment is like to your audiologist. Oh, you sit in a band of 50 people. This is where you sit. This is how loud the instruments are around you. Based on the recent decibel meter reading, this is what my readings are showing, can you please adjust the technology on my hearing aid to where when I'm around that kind of sound that it softens, but not completely to where I can still hear the teacher, that kind of thing. And you can't fault a student, for deaf student for playing too loud when they don't know it's too loud. And uh, like, again, what sounds loud to us is even louder to a hearing person. Right. <laughs> 
do you know like um you know how like audiologists can put like uh background noise programs and hearing aids to help with that is that something that you you've used like you have a program for like loud situations like music or do you just prefer to use your regular program i use uh because I, I use a white x moment hearing aids and the app is phenomenal i turn it down for when i'm reading because mm-hmm. i don't want to hear the background noise and all that and I turn to the music app and I just I just mess with the I'm experiment with the knobs on there based on where I am, but I really do like it. I um I also currently have Widex. I'm in the process of getting new hearing aids, but I also have Widex and I make new settings for mine. And so when you were talking about that, I was thinking the same thing. Like I like the music setting a lot, but um there was one time I went to a live music event. It was at the Museum of Art in Philadelphia. And it was actually really, really loud, like loud for me, but loud in the sense of like just a lot of noise. Like I couldn't really hear the music clearly. And I also couldn't hear my husband next to me speaking, but I was able to like play with it between the setting and then the also the volume setting to kind of get it where I could hear him and I could hear the music nicely. And it all came together. So I do like the Widex app too that helps, but I know Phonak has a similar app and so does Oticon. I think that's a good reminder for TODs that if you have high school students who have access to these settings on their personal hearing aids to like remind them like, hey, if you're in band, maybe we can adjust this a little bit. Like you don't, it doesn't have to be that loud. So that's a good, that's a good thought. Yeah. And for our TODs, I have actually worked that into my students' IEPs. Like, putting um in their accommodation in their stis and modifications that the students allowed to use their cell phone to access their apps for their hearing devices this episode is brought to you by the listening color bundle from listening fun teach vocabulary in context with no prep includes all the language targets you need context clues multiple meaning words synonyms and antonyms inferences and analogies You read a sentence aloud, discuss a vocabulary target with your student, they color the corresponding picture on the page. It's print and go for you and engaging for your student. Link in the show notes and at listentotodpod.com. Now back to the show. So Adam, do you think you kind of touched on this as part of your story, but are there certain instruments that you suggest that deaf and hard of hearing students try or use? From the get-go, a student really, really, really want to try a certain instrument, we shouldn't turn them away regardless. Now, the one instrument that comes to mind for several of my music educator colleagues is flute. It's a very challenging instrument in the fact that you have to have certain vowel shapes and oral cavities inside of the mouth to produce the sound itself. And also that's the one instrument that you can't really feel the note vibrate itself. As opposed to all the other instruments, you can feel that you can feel it resonate when you're playing it, either through your fingers or through the mouthpiece that goes in the mouth or the mouthpiece that goes on your lips. Okay, so that's probably the one that they may struggle with. But, and my friend Eddie mentioned this in our presentation in Colorado, like let them try it, and if they fail, it's okay because as long as we as educators are on, on the outlook for the best interest of the child and we help guide them to another instrument to where they're not going to be like, oh, band, not for me because the flute didn't work for me. It's okay. And it doesn't work for everyone. And try a different, try a different instrument. 
Um, and any and the, the other instruments, even the lower pitch instruments, in my experience of talking with deaf and hard of hearing students, they like the ones that are lower pitch because they can feel it more based on maybe they can't hear the higher pitches on their hearing loss and, and go from there. Now, a, a colleague of mine who teaches in the DFW area, he told his students that if you're going to play the piccolo, which is, of course, the higher pitched version of the flute, you're required to be in tune all the time. Like you have to have a tuner <laughs> hooked up to it. And that was just an expectation he made on his students. I've, I've been asked a lot, is percussion okay for my child to learn? Because they're playing a very loud instrument. Sure. And we talked about the adjustments that have to be made on the hearing aid itself. And if you have to make adjustments, make adjustments. If they need to wear earplugs instead of wearing their hearing aid, that's fine. Just let them experience it the same way as everybody else where they might run into some some struggles or maybe on some higher pitch keyboard instruments. Like if they're going to play the glockenspiel, they may just hear ding, 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 ding. They may not hear all of the actual pitches that they're playing if, as it's written on the page. I would recommend that students who are interested in percussion look for Evelyn Glennie. She is a, one of the premier solo percussion performers in the world and lives in the UK. and She's been deaf her whole life, and I I met her in San Antonio this last music convention we had, and it was just amazing. And she had a whole piece dedicated to her that was five or six movements, where she was playing individual percussion instruments, and because she could feel them in her hand or against her body, or playing the deeper keyboard, and she could feel the vibrations on her feet. If you've heard of the Mandy Harvey story on. I believe it was American Idol uh, or one of those um, competition shows, the speakers were aimed at the floor and she wasn't wearing shoes so that she could feel the vibration of her guitar while as she played or the piano or the drums as she played. And so success, sto- success stories are out there for musicians who are deaf. And we should make sure that no matter what it is they want to learn, that we as music educators help guide them through it. And there are going to be some challenges along the way. Maybe... Myself, I could not articulate. I had a very hard time articulating on my brass instrument because of my speech. The way I was saying my K's was very thick in the back of my mouth, and I couldn't do. It was a bit of a struggle for me. My trim brother, who was hearing, he just picked it up like a piece of cake. But me, no. I had to work a little bit harder, harder along the way. So again, I wouldn't say there's an instrument that doesn't work for the kid. It's whatever you're willing to help teach them. And the same thing for the orchestra world. Now, the thing I love about the orchestra, because I also teach orchestra, is that it's a very visual thing. Where the fingers are going, it has to be placed in a certain spot. Whether or not I hear the note correctly, it's, oh, your finger's not in the right spot. I see it. And and they may not be successful on violin. They might be on viola, cello, bass, because it's the lower pitch instrument, and they can feel it against the body more. However, be on the lookout for it. Make sure the instruments are in tune. And teach them the same way that you would teach everybody else. I was thinking while you were talking, I was thinking that I feel like a lot of times our students with hearing loss who aren't in the like severe to profound areas of hearing loss, you know, are more like moderate, mild to moderate kids. We don't often think about what they're feeling, but I'm picturing a kid sitting in a group of people playing and there's all this noise around them. And do you feel like being able to feel their own instrument helps them decipher what they're playing versus everything they're hearing around them. 
because it's different to be able to hear your instrument when you're playing alone, right? I feel like our mm-hmm. kids with mild hearing loss might be able to hear their their which one did you say was the lower? <laughs> was it the viola? Like yeah. They might be able to hear their viola when they're playing by themselves just fine, but then you put them in a group of violas or whatever, and that's going to be harder for them. So do you feel like being able to feel it helps them to make sure that they're on the right track? Yes. And actually a great example is that uh, after our Colorado presentation, a band director who actually teaches in his regional cluster for the deaf, he said, I have a tenor sax player who's having trouble keeping on the beat with tempo. And we said, okay, show us where he's sitting in the setup. And he was like around the second row. And we said, move him to the back. And he's like, why? Well, you put him right in front of the percussion. He can feel the percussion beat from behind him. And that can help him stay on tempo more. So my advice is whenever directors ask me about that, it's like, you're going to have to get away from your, like, from from the traditional setup. You're going to have to make some adjustments. And it's going to sound, it may sound a little different, but you're going to have to do what's best for that kid. And it's going to take some experimentation. And we had, I'll say this myself, we had band directors do a lot of experimentation. I'm going to do my setup this way today. I'm going to do my setup this way today. And it does um, affect my hearing aid too. And a funny story with that is that in some moments where I want to work on louder dynamics, I'm playing louder, my hearing aids are all of a sudden turn them down soft. I'm like, no, that's not what I wanted it to do. But it's funny that it's doing that because it's doing this right thing, but I didn't want it to do it. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, we shouldn't, we shouldn't stick to a traditional way that's always worked for 20, 30 plus years. You're going to learn something new along the way with a student placement and their ensemble so, so that they can be successful with it. Love so it. interesting. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice uh, for TODs how we can use music to help DHH kids? Like as a music teacher, like do you have any suggestions on how we can use music to help? If you're going to, if you're doing a pull out with them uh, to your TOD lesson, um, and if you're going to have background music, just make sure it has a little bit more of a bass to it. Um, may have to find something in the lower frequencies, something that works best for that kid, especially if you're wanting, if, whether it's just for background comfort or you're wanting them to follow along with a lesson of some sort. I've seen some great examples of rhythms where they use shapes in regards to how many times like they tap a paper and it helps them stay on the beat, and it's helping helping them use both sides of the brain. So, if they see a triangle, they're tapping it three times per beat, and if they see a square, they're tapping it four times per beat. And so, just examples like that, to where you're using shapes and you're using something like a metronome that the kid can hear, and and just working out both sides of the brain as a workout, that kind of thing. See if music can be streamed to their devices. Uh, when I was working with the trombone player. Uh, the, with the cochlear implant, I showed her how on my phone I was using the Toner Energy Tuning app and it played the note, but it didn't play it through the phone. It played it through my hearing aid. And so I could pick up a trombone and go to a certain spot on the trombone position and I can match the note that I'm hearing inside my device. And so if the child's able to use their cellular devices and they know that there's app they can use to help connect them to the instrument, use it. Uh, and my kids kind of figured it out that I was using that. And when I was trying to tune the timpani in the percussion section, I set it to a certain pitch. And they were like, Mr. Keita, how do you know what note that is? And I would show them and I would point to my hearing aid. 
And like, they'd be, oh, you're sneaky. And here we are telling them to take their AirPods out all the time. And they're not a stranger. They're not, they're probably not protecting their hearing at their AirPods if they're blasting music elsewhere. But um, again, using their technological devices outside of their normal settings, see, see, what, see how you can use it in their own lesson to help them. They can feel comfortable with it. So interesting. I feel like if I tried to do one of those, I have like no musical talent like at all. So if I feel like if I tried to do one of those like tapping activities with like using two sides of your brain, I feel like I would, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> that would uh, be fun though. No, I understand. And and I will say this. So one of our fun experiences that we had this last school year was um, the Sunshine Cottage School for Deaf Children. They actually invited us out to, and, and I had met them months before and met the principal as well. And so she sent me an email about a month away. It's like, hey, can you have your drumline play for a shoebox float parade? And I'm like, sure. And I, and I tell my kids about it, and they're like, oh, they're so sweet. And, and of course, the questions they're going to ask is like, how do they hear the music? Now, again, you can't fault a kid for thinking that if no one's ever exposed to them, the deaf student can't hear drums. And so I told them, I was like, well, they're going to feel the vibration of the drums, and we're going to, I said, we are going to let them play on our drums. We're going to give them our sticks and they're going to play on them as much as they want. We're going to give them our cymbal and they're going to play on it. And that's what we did at the very end of it. And those kids had a blast. <laughs> and the parents that were there watching the parade and they saw their kid playing on those instruments. And it was, they were so happy for it because they hadn't been exposed to that yet. Now, whether it was correct or not, that didn't matter to me. But it's the fact that I was exposing a different kind of music to them than what they had in their own classrooms. And just to see them all with their cochlear implant. And my kids, got to, I said, talk to my kids afterwards. Hey, how was it? And they were like, I'm never going to like take advantage of my hearing. If I see that these kids can't, can, they can't they have roadblocks and they can't hear the same way I can. I'm going to make sure that I value my hearing. And I'm going to make sure that I get a chance to be grateful for what I have. And so I'm really glad. So it wasn't just a musical beneficial experience. It was just a life lesson for my kids that they got to see deaf students experience music. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've had quite a few of my my kids love playing with music too. Like they love just picking up instruments, especially um, my younger students who have additional def- disabilities in addition to like their hearing loss. Instruments are like their favorite thing to play with like if I want to get them to do any type of activity I have to put an instrument in their hand and then they're ready to go (laughs) and lastly can you tell everyone where to find you connect with you or if anyone has any follow-up questions how they can reach out to you of course so I am on social media Facebook Instagram LinkedIn they can find me by searching my first name Adam A-D-A-M last name Kita C-H-I-T-T-A colleague from Florida uh, him and I are, are teaming up to uh, present at conferences. So we have a, a presentation coming up in Chicago this December at the, the Midwest Clinic uh, Band Orchestra Music International Conference. And we're going to be talking about strategies of that you can incorporate into your band and orchestra classroom for your deaf and hard of hearing students. So if you're going to be at one of the conferences, we invite you to come out and check out our clinic because not only are what we not only are we passionate about teaching and reaching our deaf and hard of hearing students, but this might uh, fill some fill some gaps in your te- teaching toolbox on how you can reach all of your students. Because 
you know, and y'all can relate to this too. Definitely, if you don't like to be singled out, they don't want to be seen that they're being treated that much differently, and so than their peers, especially at the middle school level. Um, but the strategies that I have learned to help teach all, it can help benefit every student. And I can also be reached out via email, uh, adamkita at gmail.com. And I hope that my strategies go a long way. And this is something that we're going to keep adding to it. You know, and the technology is getting that much better with our hand devices that it can be incredible what we're going to be able to do in five, 10 years. And so it's going to change in five or 10 years what we can do to help our students. And, and again, all those uh, social media outlets, I'm open for questions. I'm open for anything that I can do to help. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing all of your expertise. We really appreciate it. And this is such an interesting topic. So if you want to reach Adam, you can reach out to him. Kimmy's at the Heart of Hearing Teacher. I'm at Listening Fun. As always, a full transcript and show notes will be at listentotodpod.com. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.